I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricium I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Archaea have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they are also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. As we come uh, to look at God's word together, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the Bible. Thank you uh, for this passage that we've been able to read together. Lord, we pray as we look at it in, in more depth now, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, may the words that I say be turned into your words by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at um, verses 14 to 22 this morning. Now, a question just to to start us off. What is your favourite type of music? Maybe it's uh, pop music, Maybe it's classical music, maybe it's rock music. I'd guess this morning amongst us there's probably quite a wide variety of different musical styles that we we all enjoy. I think music is quite interesting, isn't it? Uh, In that you'll struggle to find someone who uh, doesn't like music at all, who has no interest in it. But it's also interesting in the sheer variety of types and styles that we all like. Well... I enjoy uh, a bit of country music. Uh, Somehow that feels like a confession this morning. I don't know quite why it should, but it does feel like a bit of a confession. 
Um, and a few years back, um, Jess and I, Jess, my wife, uh, and I went to watch a concert uh, in, in London uh, of a country music group called Zach Brown Band uh, at Wembley Arena. Uh, and both of us had a, a really good time. We enjoyed it. The music was good. It was very entertaining uh, and a really fun evening. But one of the things that I came away from that concert with was a real sense of wonder and awe at the skill involved in those playing their instruments. The band had seven or eight musicians playing guitars, drums, violins, saxophones, trumpets, piano, and probably some other things that I've forgotten as well. And it was very obvious to me, a non-musician, that these performers were very skillful. Now, I'm sure most of them had spent a lot of money on their instruments. I'm sure they were very expensive instruments that they were playing. Probably they would spend thousands of pounds on a new guitar to make sure they got the very best feel and very best sound from their playing. But for me, in the audience, it wasn't about the instruments. It was about the musicians. What I remembered was the musicians. Now, many of you this morning here will probably have had personally or at least be close to someone who's had a surgical operation. The surgeon who carried out that operation would have used surgical instruments. Now, as a a little aside, uh, during my preparation, I discovered that surgical instruments have some very strange names. Names like ratcheted forceps, mayo scissors or my favourite, Langenbeck retractors. It's good, isn't it? But if you've had an operation, after it's finished, you don't remember the instruments, do you? You remember the surgeon. The surgeon and their tremendous training and skill in dealing with whatever the problem was. It's the surgeon who was the most important figure in any successful operation. And he's rightly, or she is rightly, the one who is praised when it goes well. Well, this morning, the big lesson from this passage, Romans 15, verses 14 to 22, is that God wants us to be his instruments. We're to be instruments for Jesus. Instruments for Jesus to use whatever he wants to do. However he, wants, however he sees fit and wherever he sees need. And in these verses, we see Paul showing us how God is using him as an instrument. I think verse 18 is key. It says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. You see that? Paul is saying that Christ is using him to bring Gentiles, that's non-Jews, to become Christians. God is using him as his instrument to share the gospel of Jesus all the way around the world. And as as such, he is an example to all of us here who are Christians here this morning. As I looked and studied this passage, I was struck by how many times Paul emphasises this. These verses, he gives us a glimpse of what kind of attitude he had to the work that he'd been given to do by Jesus. All the way through, time and time again, he emphasises that it's not he, Paul, what he has done, 
but what God has done through him. Let's look at the verses. Just scan through them if you've got your Bibles open there. Look at verse 15. It says, because of the grace given me by God. It's a gift from God. Verse 16 says, minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And it says, service of the gospel of God. And it says, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. All pointing to God's work. And verse 17, in Christ Jesus then. Pointing to Jesus being the key. And verse 18, Christ has accomplished through me. Again, it's God using him. And verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God. All the time, the emphasis is God. What God has done. What God has given. What God has made possible. You see, Paul here is very much the instrument. And in terms of the illustrations we said at the beginning, God is the musician, God is the surgeon. It's always God who is the source and the power of what's being accomplished. It's always as a result of what God has done. And as it's always God, therefore, who gets the praise and the glory. And it's this attitude of Paul that I want to highlight this morning and for us to aim to mimic. Like Paul, be instruments for God to use. Now in these verses, we come to the beginning of the end of Paul's letter to the Romans. Verse 13 that we looked at last week, he's rounded off what he's been teaching on love within local fellowships of believers. How we should treat one another in our local churches. And in verse 14, he begins a lengthy finish and sign-off to this letter. Remember, uh, at the beginning of chapter 12, Paul had turned from teaching us about the the fundamentals of the Christian faith in the first, uh, first 11 chapters. Fundamentals like, we're all sinful, we need rescuing from that sin because we cannot save ourselves. Uh, and that God has provided this rescue through Jesus. A salvation that's only available to us as a gift. A salvation that can never be earned. It must simply be accepted with thanks. And then chapter 12, he moves from applying uh, to applying these truths into our everyday lives. So having believed these truths, he shows us an appropriate response. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul says, because of what God has done for you, sacrifice your own desires, your own will, and present your life to God to use as he sees fit. Well, chapter 15 and verses 14 to 22 really show us how Paul is doing exactly that. Remember how Paul's life started out. The book of Acts tells us that Paul, or Saul as he was known then, was a very zealous Jew who hated Christians. Acts uh, Acts chapter 8 verse 3 says, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, dragging men and women off to be committed to prison. This was a man with an agenda, an agenda to stop people becoming Christians. We read elsewhere that he considered himself a very well-educated 
and well-placed Jew. He was very proud of the reputation that he was making for himself. But then he met Jesus and was changed in an instant. And from that point on, instead of putting Christians in prison and even killing them, he became God's instrument for bringing countless millions into his kingdom. God said this about Paul when speaking to a man named Ananias. He said, uh, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul sacrificed what had been his own ambitions, his own desires to present his life in response to what Jesus had done for him as a living sacrifice in worship to God. Now, obviously, what this meant for Paul and what this means for us is quite different. Paul had been given a very unique task. He was to be an apostle. He was to be the first missionary in the history of the church, chosen to spread the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. We are not called to be apostles, and most of us will not be called to be missionaries either. So presenting our lives as living sacrifices will look very different uh, to Paul's version of a living sacrifice. But we, just like Paul, can and should be instruments for God to use. So we can look at Paul's example and learn various principles to help us do that. Whatever our situation in life, whatever, wherever God has placed us, whether that's in school or whether that's in the home, whether he's given us employment or retirement, wherever we spend our time, whatever gifts, whatever abilities that God has given us, Paul's example can help us present all of this to God in response for what he's done for us and help us to say, God, my Father, I am yours. I present you my life. Please use it however you want. So, what principles does Paul apply to his life that we can learn from? What ways does Paul show us how we can become instruments for God. Well, I've picked out three things framed in the language of uh, chapter 12, verse 1. These three things are sacrifice your calling, replace it with God's, sacrifice your glory and replace it with God's, and sacrifice your plans and replace them with God's. In other words, switch the focus of your life like Paul and make it about God and not about you. Sacrifice yourself, put aside your ambitions and see how God wants to use you as his instrument. So the first point, how can we be instruments for God to use? Firstly, by sacrificing our calling and replacing it with God's. In response to all that God has done for us, our attitude should become one of, God, please use me for whatever purpose you want. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says this, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So here is Paul 
telling us his job description. He says, his job is to be a minister of Christ Jesus, there to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with the Gentiles. And that the purpose of his work is so that when the Gentiles hear this gospel, they'll respond through the Holy Spirit working in their lives. God wants millions of people to be saved, to become Christians through what he had got planned for Paul to do. God wants millions of people to be built up directly there in Paul's time and then down through the ages ever since. And that includes us here this morning. We're Gentiles, we're we're part of this plan of God to use Paul. Paul is to be the chief instrument in that process, used by God to create a massive response to that message of Jesus dying and rising again. I already mentioned that this was so different to the Paul that we meet at the beginning of Acts. This is a change that had been actioned through the work of grace given by God in Paul's life. And Paul took that job, that new job, that God-appointed new job, very seriously, quite literally putting his life on the line at times, on multiple occasions, regularly getting beaten up and arrested to carry out what he'd been tasked with. And here, then, in this letter, also taking on this role of apostle very seriously too, saying things to the churches that needed to be said. You almost get the impression from these verses that he's a bit embarrassed even uh, to write some of the things that he's, bit, that he's written. Verse 15 kind of almost feels like an apology. So we see that Paul's attitude is, God, please use me for whatever purpose you need. I will do whatever you call me to do. So our challenge is to have that same attitude, to be willing to sacrifice our own calling, to be willing to set aside our own plans, our dreams and aspirations, and instead replace them with God's. To say to God, Lord, please use me for whatever you need me to do. But what is what is our calling? How do I know? How do we know what God wants to do to use us? Well, that's a good question to be asking. Uh, you may be ready to say to God, please use me, but it's not clear to you quite how he wants to do that. Well, in a general sense, we can answer that question by just simply looking at a few Bible verses. Uh, there's a simple answer to that. First, look at uh, Ephesians 4 uh, and verses 1 to 3. Say, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. These verses are addressing church congregations like ours and show us that we're called to live peaceably with one another, to love, to be humble, to be gentle, to have patience, to bear with one another, That's part of our calling as Christians. Then also look at 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed 
to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. These verses show us that we're called to be holy, called to live lives that are honouring and pleasing to God. So in a general sense, the Bible tells us that our calling as Christians, because of the grace given us by God, is to respond and be like Jesus. But there's also the more specific calling. Paul was, after all, called to be an apostle and missionary. So that begs uh, the question, doesn't it? What has God called you to do more specifically with your life? Well, that's a much more difficult question to answer, and not one that I can do for you. Maybe, maybe just this morning, he is calling you to be a missionary uh, to some far-off country. Maybe it's less dramatic, less life-changing. Maybe simply he's calling you to be the best wife and mother you can possibly be. Maybe he's calling you to move to some different area of the country to help out with the struggling church. Or maybe he's saying, come and take on this particular role uh, in the church here in Whittlesea. You know, these things are not for me to say. That's for you to figure out with God. But I will say this. Take Paul's example to heart. Take that specific calling seriously. Be prepared to do whatever God is calling you to do, no matter how difficult or daunting or maybe life-changing that seems like it will be. Be prepared to sacrifice your own comfort, your own money, your own career, your time to do whatever God is asking you to do. Because it's when we sacrifice our calling, our desires, and replace them with God's, that's when we become an instrument for God to use. Many of you will have heard of a man named uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was born in in, in 1899 in Cardiff in Wales, and he he was a very bright young man. He went to medical school, St Bartholomew's, in London at the age of 16, Uh, And he qualified there to become a a physician and subsequently practised as a doctor in Harley Street in London. He was recognised by many in the field as a very promising doctor, destined to become one one of this country's most senior medics. But at the age of 27, he became a minister in a small church uh, back in his home country of Wales. He'd become a Christian, And God had called him to sacrifice everything that he had worked for, any ambition that he had, and instead become a minister of Jesus Christ. You see, God had different plans for him, plans to use him to save many people, plans to use his preaching to serve the church uh, down through much of the 20th century uh, and beyond. Now, obviously, that's an extreme Example, but I think it's a good one. Martin Lloyd Jones sacrificed his own calling and replaced it with God's. The Apostle Paul did the same thing. Now, probably God's calling for your life will be way less dramatic, but are you willing for God to use you wherever He needs to use you? So, 
Moving on then to the second point. How can we be an instrument for God to use? Well, secondly, by sacrificing our glory and replacing it with God's. In response to all that God has done for us, our attitude should become, God, please use me however you want. Look at verse 18. It says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. You see, Paul's example here is to make himself all about how God is using him and never about himself. He says in verse 17, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. He has reason to be proud, reason to boast, but it's all in and through Christ Jesus. It's never about what Paul has done, always about what God has done, always about how God has used him, always about how God has worked through him. And this needs to be the same for us. We need to put aside our own glory. We must lay down any desire that we have to look good or to be praised personally. And say this, this is not about me. Anything that I have been called to do, any work that I'm involved in, any changes that have been brought about in my life or anyone else's through me, that's all because of what God is doing, what, how God is working. It's all about him working, all about him using me. Verse 18 and 19 shows how that works in Paul's ministry. It says, Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So Paul speaks, but he speaks what God tells him. He acts, he does things, he lives his life, he meets people, he helps people, he encourages people, but he acts as God directs him. He allows God to use him to perform signs and wonders to authenticate that very special ministry that he has, to show that he is speaking and doing what God says. But he makes it clear it's God performing the signs and wonders. It's the Holy Spirit working to change hearts and change minds and bring people to God. He makes himself an instrument for God to use, to become God's mouthpiece, to become God's signpost, pointing people to Jesus. You know, we're in a a very privileged position, I think, right now as as a church. We're part of a church here where we're really seeing God at work. We're seeing him saving, we're seeing people becoming Christians, we're seeing People return to the Lord, uh, return to their faith when they've previously been drifting. We're seeing people built up in their faith, enabled to live as Christians out in the real world with all the real problems that come as a result. That's a privilege to be part of, but one where we must make sure that we never, ever, ever think that it's anything to do with us and anything to do with what we have done. Like Paul, we need to make ourselves instruments for God to use for his own glory. It's all about God. It's all about how he is working. He must get all the glory and he will insist on that being the case. You know, a couple of weeks back, we looked at the story of God's people, the Israelites, 
uh, leaving Egypt. Jeff preached on chapter 14 where the people had been uh, uh, um, had left Egypt but were being pursued uh, by the Egyptian army and were stuck, faced with the Red Sea before them. A bit earlier in the story, God had spoken to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, through Moses and given some insight uh, into what was going on with all of the plagues that he was sending. He spoke just before the plague of hail, uh, the seventh of ten, and said this uh, in chapter 9, verse 15, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth, in other words, killed. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In other words, God was doing all this so that he would be known as God throughout the whole world, so that he would be glorified for what he was about to do. There would be no mistaking who was at work. It would be very clear for all to see that the Israelites did not save themselves. The story continues. The rest of the plagues come. The Israelites are told at last to leave. In fact, they're given gold and silver just to go. And then Pharaoh, once they're gone, changes his mind and chases them with his army. And when the Israelites are truly stuck, with truly nowhere to turn, God says, watch me at work. I am using you to show how great and glorious I am. Exodus 14, verse 14 says, the Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. You know, that day the Israelites stood back and watched God work on their behalf and save them. They watched God use them to show the whole world who he is and what he's capable of. And in those events, God had all the glory. It was clearly him doing everything. We, we must do the same. It's God working amongst us for his glory to show how great and mighty and wonderful and gracious and loving and kind that he really is. Don't be tempted to take that away for a minute and insert a little, but I did this. Because God will not have it. It's his work, it's his power. We are just instruments that God wants to use. So be like Paul. Speak of nothing except what Christ has accomplished through you. Set aside, sacrifice your glory and replace it with God's and let him use you however he wants to serve his purposes. So, the third point. The third thing to remember, how can we be an instrument for God to use? Thirdly, by sacrificing our plans and replacing them with God's. In response to all that God has done, our attitude become, God, please use me wherever you want. Look at verse 22. This is the reason why I've been so often hindered from coming to you. See that word hindered? Well, it's God here doing the hindering. Paul has wanted to go to Rome to visit the church there for a long time. He wanted to visit, but each time God had hindered him. God had a a different plan. In fact, verse 24, uh, in verse 24, he talks about going to Spain. But as far as we know, he never made it. 
And while he did eventually make it to Rome, it was not in the circumstances that he had planned. You see, Paul made his plans, but in the end he had to sacrifice them for God's, for the sake of God's plans. In the preceding verses, he gives a bit of background to what God had called him to do. Verse 20 says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And then he quotes from Isaiah in verse 21. He says, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul is telling him, telling us what God has sent him to be, to be a missionary to those who have never heard the good news of Jesus before. Paul's job was to be what may, we may now refer to as a frontier missionary. That was his primary role, and God directed his plans as he saw fit to make sure that Paul fulfilled that task that he'd been set, where God wanted him to go. That's why he had, until that point, been hindered from going to Rome. Even though that's what he desired in his heart to do, God had different plans. We can see, therefore, that Paul's attitude was very much, God, please use me wherever you want. And again, that's an attitude that we would do well to copy. So that brings up a challenging question. Where does God want each of us to be? Where does he want to use each of us? Is God calling you this morning to go somewhere else in the world to tell people about Jesus? Well, a while ago, I I came across a website called The Joshua Project. We're going to put it on the screen now. You might have seen this before. It's a website, perhaps a little bit small for you to be able to see, but it's a website that seeks to define uh, how how many people groups around the world have never heard about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It says there are 17,443 people groups in the world, but 7,425 of them have never been reached with the gospel. It says that there are 8 billion people in the world, but 3.3 billion of them have never heard of Jesus. This just demonstrates, doesn't it, how much work there is to be done in evangelising the world, in telling people about Jesus. Well, maybe, just maybe, this morning, God is calling you to go to one of these places. There's lots to choose from. On, that, on, on the site, there's a map, and on the map, there's lots of red dots all over it, uh, highlighting the unreached people uh, of the world. Every continent, as far as I could make out, had a red dot with a massive concentration uh, in India and in North Africa. Maybe God is sending you to there. Many of you know Malcolm and Ruth Firth, missionaries that we as a church sent out to Latvia back in the late 90s, uh, returned last uh, year after 25 years' service. They've now taken on a, another role, uh, based uh, at a church in Cardiff. So our support for them as a church is now dropping off. So as a church, we have a gap we need to fill. We have money in the budget ready to support a missionary. So wouldn't it be great if God was calling someone from the church here, even now this morning, to go 
and take their place. Someone for us as a church to support and send together wherever God wants to take them in the world to share the gospel. Why don't we together make that our prayer, that God would use us as a church to send people to share the good news of Jesus around the world. So what will be your attitude? Are you willing to go wherever God wants? Are you willing to stay if that's what God wants? Are you willing to say to God, I sacrifice my plans for yours. Use me wherever you need me. Well, I encourage you this morning to think. Think about these things. Think about where and what and how God wants to use you. Pray about it. Ask God to speak to you. Ask God to make it clear to you. And when that prayer is answered, be prepared to replace your plans with his. So be an instrument for God. That's the key message from this passage in Romans. Be like Paul, who dedicated his life to speak of nothing except what Christ had accomplished through him. You know, when I was thinking of being an instrument for God, my mind always pictures wind instruments uh, in in an orchestra or in a a big band. Maybe it's because they involve using the mouth to play, uh, particularly blowing air through them to make a noise. That's a bit like speaking, isn't it, really? But I don't think that picture, it's not really enough. Because I think God has in mind a whole orchestra of different types of instruments. God wants to use all different types of people doing all different types of things for his glory. Some, indeed, are called to speak, but some are called to use their hands, some are called to use their feet or their arms or their brains, and so on. Some are called to stay, some are called uh, to, to go. I don't know what part God would have you Uh, play in all of this but I do know that God wants to use us all all of us who are Christians to his glory we all have a part to play in this orchestra of God's instruments each playing their part collectively to make a wonderful sound that brings glory to God so I'd encourage you this morning to pray to say to God I'm here please use me as you want to pray and ask God to personally show you what he would have you do and ask him to make it clear to you how he wants to use you and where he would have you serve him. And then simply stand back and say and see what he says. Let's pray, shall we, and ask God to help us begin that process. Our Father, we thank you uh, for all that you've done for us. Romans is is a great book. It tells us so much that you've done on our behalf. And Lord, we want to respond this morning by saying, please use us. We sacrifice our lives and present them to you as as an offer of worship. Please use us as you see fit. Use us wherever or however or uh, whenever you want. Lord, we pray that you would show us how you want to use us. Make that very clear to our hearts. Use your word to speak to us. Lord, please guide us and help us and see, um, help us to see where we should go, what we should do. Father, we thank you for the privilege that's ours to be part of a church where you are working. 
Lord, we, we ask that you would continue to use us in this place as your mouthpiece to, to build people up, to convert people. And Lord, we ask that, that you would have all the praise and all the glory. And may we say, this is all about you, all about your work, all about what you are doing through us. We ask this uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen.